Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Fanalytics with Mike Lewis. Welcome to the Fandom Analytics, the Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center, a masterclass, a graduate program in sports and fandom analytics from Emory University, a gift from the Marketing Analytics Center to the public. I don't think, Doug, I, well, mine is Mike Lewis. I'm a professor of marketing, joined by Doug Battle, as usual. Doug, I just don't feel comfortable saying that this is a gift from Emory University to the public. I don't think that's my, what's that cliche? It's above my pay grade to make gifts from Emory <laughs> University, but you know where I'm coming. <laughs> I know where you're coming from, Mike. I'll say what was a gift from God to humanity was the Tennessee fan base on Saturday <laughs> and their master class on fandom and what that looks like. I could do an entire episode talking about all of the sights and sounds from Knoxville on Saturday, as well as some analysis on the game and the situation that SEC and college football playoff. Okay. But I mean, my Doug, I just got to say, wow, wow. Let's just jump in because, you know, I, I do these brand, these fan or brand equity studies of the NFL's the big one, done it for Major League Baseball, the, uh, you know, the NBA, done it for college sports in the past. And, and when I do those studies, it's really based on the on the numbers. It's social media, it's it's revenues, it's mm-hmm. revenue, it's return on equity, revenues divided by cost. Look at it every other, you know, every way that I can think of. Doug, Tennessee is winning. Tennessee has won the first. We thought it was what was it? Uh, Appalachian State had won the first half of the college football season. We thought. No, Tennessee is the Tennessee wins the fandom battle. No one, there's no one in second. And, and like, Doug, I was having a conversation with a Georgia fan, and, and I was giving Mike sort of casual observations. And you, you tell me if I'm getting this wrong. Georgia's got great fans. Alabama's got great fans. Tennessee and LSU, when those teams are winning and they're playing at night, might be at a whole different level. I agree. I agree, and I'm a Georgia guy. Um, and part of that with Alabama and Georgia is they've had the cha- – Georgia recently has had the championship. Alabama, of course, has had the championships. And now there's this standard where it's almost like – it's a little bit different when you're watching a game and you're like, if we lose, we're a failure. If we win, that's expected. Versus with Tennessee, it's like, if we win, this will be the greatest thing that's happened in my lifetime. And if we lose, it'll just be another loss. And so there's a different perspective. And I I was talking to some Tennessee fans about this because it's like, you guys don't understand. It doesn't get any better than breaking through, going from not a contender to a contender. I remember being at Georgia in 2017. Georgia did not win the national championship that year. And I truly felt like we enjoyed the season more than the Alabama fans because they expected a championship. We didn't expect to be a playoff team. And there's something about breaking through. Tennessee is at the height of the euphoria that comes with college football fandom right now. It does not okay. get any higher, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. Let's throw the ingredients into there, though, because it's it's you're you're right. It's breaking through. It's getting from going from level B to level A. It, but there's more than that, right? What is that? 109 thousand seat stadium, the second largest stadium. Okay, it's so, massive. I know that. Okay, so they are not. They're not really an underdog. They are as big as it gets. So yeah. th- they're as big as it gets 
with an underdog mentality. And Doug, I, I, maybe there's someone else out there. Overalls, backflips into the river, um, checkerboard, you know, stadium. Ma- you know, I, I, I masterclass on fandom. I don't know how, the, you know, I, I heard it was somewhere. In so- someone was telling me about something on social media. I didn't say it myself, but it was someone explaining Tennessee fandom. And they, mm-hmm. they go in and say, well, we're the volunteers. And they're like, why are they the volunteers? What's that got to do with Tennessee? It's like, well, we left to go fight in Texas for uh, a weekend. And, <laughs> you know, and, and who's the mascot? It's like, I, I got a dog named Smokey. What? I think you're the volunteers. And I've got, uh, you know, and we'll play this music about this song about Rocky Top. And, and Doug, you write, Doug, maybe on social media, you should actually come up, put the lyrics towards Rocky Top on there. It's kind of crazy stuff. And we're going to play that after every every touchdown. None of it makes sense, but it's perfect. It's like a cult. And yeah. it just, it works because it is. I don't know. How else to say it? But I made a list. I compiled a list of probably top 15 crazy fandom things I saw this week. Mm -hmm. And I think eight or nine of them were from that Tennessee fan base. They have been. And Mike, I got to give our I got to give fanalytics as a whole some credit here. I don't know if it was week one or week two, but we pegged Tennessee as like this is a sleeping giant that might wake (laughs) up this year. And I talked about that fan base and how they are even when they're losing and what it's going to look like if they ever do beat Alabama. And we saw it on Saturday. And so uh, Tennessee, I've got a couple, Mike. I just, I want to make sure you saw these. First off, Tennessee football needing money for next week's goalpost. I don't know if you saw their tweet, (laughs) but they're like, Hey guys, uh, Doug, it's a legit, I saw that it's a legit account. They're collecting money. Oh, I know. I (laughs) I think that's a brilliant way for the university to just raise funds if anything <laughs> make it for the goal people don't want to give like i get texts and emails from the university of georgia all the time asking me to give 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 i don't know that i'm really incentivized if georgia had just won a national championship mm-hmm. and they're like oh we've had some destruction in sanford stadium because some people were celebrating and having a good time will you give to to fix the field i'd be like yeah yeah that i'll, I'll gladly uh, pay for that Okay, Absolutely. and so. let me say something. <laughs> okay, and so Doug, we're for the universities out there. We're doing some fundraising, and we're trying to hit up a Doug Battle for a, a donation. It's either to replace the goalposts that were torn down, defeating number one, or Doug, would you like to donate so that we can um, buy some new laptops for the English professors? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was one. Um, Tennessee fan stealing grass. There was a fan that she pretty much carved out a whole checker out of the end zone. And I didn't see her. Someone described to me as someone that, and she looked like someone that lived out back in the woods. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's just a Tennessee fan. (laughs) It could be anyone in the stadium. (laughs) It could be anyone in the stadium. Um, Let's see the purge guy. I don't know if there was like a huge third down and the camera zoomed in. And Bryce Young is about to snap it. And right behind him, there's this very Halloween-looking guy on all orange. Terrifying figure. Almost as terrifying as I looked at Georgia games as a student. Um, that guy was awesome. Pat McAfee doing a backflip with the Vol Navy. That's one of the most unique things about Tennessee's well, fan base. Having Doug, a Navy. Is, Doug, sorry. Was that the backflip slash belly flop, which is next level, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was it was a twofer. It was a backflip belly flop uh, by Pat McAfee. The Vol Navy. How many teams have tailgates on the water? Is Tennessee the only one? I don't know that I've ever seen that anywhere else. Uh, it's an opportunity and a problem, it turns out, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, it, it's the burial grounds for those goalposts now. So that water just became that much more sacred. I know. Every, every set of goalposts is going in that water now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how often that's going to happen. I mean, they haven't beat Alabama in 15 years. I don't know. Like when Tennessee goes to Athens in a couple weeks, I don't know that Georgia's going to tear down the goalposts if they beat Tennessee. You know what I mean? Like that that really only no. happens. This was the breaking of a curse. This was this was like the curse of the Bambino being broken for the Red Sox. It's it's a big deal for okay. Tennessee. But it's so much fun now. So let's say let's say Tennessee beats Georgia. I don't know. Sorry, yeah. sacrilege. And then Tennessee clinches the East. 
that fan base has got to have in the back of their mind of sure we just beat whoever to maybe we you know we best beat Vanderbilt. I don't know if that's their season ending game. Yeah. Let's put the goalpost in the river, right? <laughs> well, that situation, Mike, <laughs> yeah. raises a different question in my mind, and that is, oh gosh, we've got to play Alabama again. And we've been talking so much smack and we've been rubbing so much salt in the wound and Alabama's ticked off and it's Nick Saban. Have we ever seen him lose the same team twice? The answer is no. Um, It's happened twice. LSU and Georgia, they split those games both times. I'm going to put something out there. If I'm the Tennessee sports media person and in some ways, Tennessee may have the most challenging path to a national championship in the history of college football, right? Where they may have to beat... Two weeks they ago. may have to beat Alabama twice, maybe Alabama three times. They may have three to, times be, potentially. They could have to beat Alabama twice and Georgia twice, maybe Ohio State. Crazy, like the the five yeah. games they're going to have to perform in. But that being said, Doug, if I was Tennessee's marketing people, their marketing communications people, and this would be a crazy thing to do, I would come out there and and Tennessee players, I would say, look, we're not worried about playing Alabama twice. Probably going to have to play Mississippi. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The, looking at the different scenarios and seeing, okay, they lose to Georgia. They're one loss. They probably still make the playoff, and they could play Alabama then, or they play Georgia okay, again. Okay, well, let, let, let's Doug. Let's go through this. They lose to Georgia. Georgia plays Alabama. Alabama, Alabama beats, beats Georgia. Georgia. They're all one loss. With they're all one loss. Other. Two of them were in the the conference championship. One of them wasn't. Does Tennessee get left at home? No, I don't think I because they have the win over Alabama, so they they have the head to head. You don't win, take the, then the you same. don't take the SEC conference championship. I know I'm talking <laughs> over you, Doug, but this is what we live for. <laughs> this, it's it's great to think about. It's unlikely that it'll play out. I mean, usually what happens is we have these discussions, and over the course of the season, one of them will lose two games, and it won't even matter. But looking at the schedules, it's like I don't see Georgia losing before the Tennessee game nor do I see Tennessee losing before then. I don't see Alabama losing before the SEC championship game. And I got to be honest, Mike, I think Alabama, I think they have the best odds of anyone at at making the playoff and winning the whole thing, looking at their schedule, looking at the potential matchup. Nick Saban's not going to mismanage the clock twice. They're not going to muff a punt. They're not going to play in Nayland stadium again, if they play Tennessee and if they play Georgia, it's Georgia. It's a different matchup. So it's it's interesting. It's going to be a fascinating rest of the season in the SEC. But if I'm an Alabama fan, oh, I'm, not, I'm not hanging my head. If I'm an Alabama fan, I'm ready for – they're getting revenge. They get an opportunity at revenge, whether it's Georgia or Tennessee, either way. And that's I think that's what every fan wants. Doug, can you imagine the scenario where you could have potentially whining Alabama fans kind of crying? We had to play Tennessee on the road. I don't know. Do they play Mississippi at home or on the road? Oh, it's they play Ole Miss at Ole Miss. We had to play Ole Miss isn't very good, by the way. Well, they're ranked, no, but, they're ranked number yeah. seven, so we'll just go with it. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, Doug, the Illini are ranked like number 18 now, I think. So <laughs> rankings matter. Uh, <laughs> so okay, so they uh you know, the the case they could make of we had to play number six on the road twice or number seven, six on the road, then number seven. We had to play Georgia in the championship game. And let's be honest, that's a home game for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, you know, I mean, again, we're, we're just, Doug, you're going to have to be the adult in the room because I'm just going to bask in all this SEC <laughs> fandom and trash talk for the next five, six weeks. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I just, you know, People, when you're a player, people tell you, act like you've been there before. Like, you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. That's what the coaches always say. Tennessee does not know how to act like they've been there before. Tennessee (laughs) has been there. They have been there before, but it was so long ago that anyone on campus now was not around, maybe not even alive. And they do not know how to. They're incapable of it. And so I can see it backfiring so easily, whether it's against Georgia, whether it's against Alabama again, whether it's in the playoff. But I see it backfiring. That's how I see it ending. But right now, they're on top of the world. But at this moment, the Tennessee fandom, and I think this is why we love them, will go back to, I think, something that was said during Ted Lasso. And I think it's it's something in every culture. Memory of goldfish, personality of golden retriever. That's the Tennessee fandom, right? <laughs> they're, the te- they're Ted Lasso's team. And I like that you mentioned LSU earlier because there, there's just something different 
about LSU and Tennessee when they're good. At but night. There's there's this chaotic energy that those fan yeah. bases have. I don't know where Alabama doesn't have it. Alabama's great. They've got a great fan base. Georgia's got a great fan base. But there's this chaotic energy. I, you can't put your finger quite on. It's like there's some witchcraft going on in the stadium or something with Tennessee and particularly LSU. And that well, also another thing that happens is when those teams get good, the country falls in love with them, partially <laughs> because they beat Alabama. And you look at Joe Burrow's team, the, the nation was enamored with that team. Mm-hmm. But I think Tennessee's that team right now. And um, they, they've... They've got a big one coming up in a couple weeks in Athens. It's going to be, I, I saw a tweet saying that technically this will be the biggest game. If Georgia's undefeated and Tennessee's undefeated at that time, it would be the biggest game in school history at home for the University of Georgia as far as rankings. Number Potentially number one versus number three. Um, that, I mean, that's a playoff game right there. Yeah. My understanding is the ticket prices have already gone up from, and again, this, is, this is just secondhand. They went from 500 to 1,200 like overnight. Yeah. So this is know, this big boy, big time college football, right? Yeah, big time. Um, I got a couple more Tennessee fans. So the goalpost, the goalpost going down. The guy, one guy was riding it like uh, like he was yes. the commander of of an <laughs> right, army. Right, right. But Doug, miss opportunity. Where was the I'm the king of the world pose on that? And I understand <laughs> the balance was tricky for him. Yeah. It was uh, also they. I don't know if you thought this, but when I first saw it, it looked like I've never seen a group of human beings look like ants so much as I as they did at Nayland Stadium on Saturday. It, with them moving the individual posts of the goalposts, it looked like a little army. Of ants. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I loved it, man. And and also they were trying to get it out of the stadium and they had this whole goalpost. And you're thinking, how are yeah. they gonna get that thing out? There's not a there's not an exit goalpost size. I'm glad you're bringing this up did. because you don't know how they did it either. They must have taken it apart or gone out they of the They took like it apart course. to throw okay. <laughs> yeah, they can't throw it over the stadium. I've I've sat on the front the top row of yeah. that stadium and you can't get up there's three tiers, so there's no way they could have gotten it up there. Um, also, that would have been incredibly dangerous. But so is taking down a goalpost in the first place. So um, let's see. Oh, other one. I sent you this, Mike. The Tennessee fan watching the game at a wedding, and it was at a reception, and they announced the <laughs> husband, you know, the husband and the wife, um, about four seconds before the kick went up. So people were cheering for that, and then it got quiet for a second, and then Tennessee made the field goal. And of course, the one, the guy like me, if you know, if I were at a wedding and Georgia are in the same situation, I had to be there. I would definitely be watching the game on my phone. So I respect this guy, but he starts cheering and going crazy. It's like a delayed response to the announcement that they are husband and wife. Um, <laughs> great timing, <laughs> with, but yeah, Tennessee fans, they uh, they're the big winners of the first half of the season or so. Okay, Doug, how about this? Alabama fans are the big losers right now. Gender reveal parties, right? They're everywhere. <laughs> I'm sitting there in Tennessee. Gender reveal party is going to reveal a puff of orange. Yeah, and that might be a new gender. Uh, <laughs> we don't, you know, we've got pink and blue, but I don't know what orange represents. It, you know, it's going to be a vol one way or another. I think, that's I think it represents you, that I'm not into that. I'm not into this gender. This gender reveal thing was just a a swerve to get people out here, and this was just a Tennessee party. I think that's just how you announce that you're having a baby if you're in Tennessee. And it's like we've we're going to have a vol. It's going to be orange. You know. Um, yeah, I Doug. I want my daughter to I, Doug. I want my daughter to apply. She's a senior in high school. I'm gonna make her apply to Tennessee. I've never had that appli- thought in my head, but I'm gonna make her do that this weekend. Their applications are probably going <laughs> through the roof. I got a cousin, and she's a. I don't know if she's a junior, sophomore there. Yeah. She was on the front row of that end zone where they kicked a field goal, and seeing her stories like what a time for those students running onto the field. Getting, I mean, they're gonna remember that for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and look, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up too because I like when we can sort of get into the, the let's say the educational aspects of some of this stuff and and kind of take it apart. Okay, and so you think about what just happened. That game creates a heightened sense of arousal. Everyone is excited. Everyone is on edge. Right. Everyone is fully engaged. This is not mm-hmm. like you're watching. 
this is not like you're watching an episode of the Rings of the Power, Rings of Power. And you're just sort of half watching to see if anything actually ever happens, right? <laughs> this is this is a hundred percent engaged, and then something spectacular happens, and it happens in a group of a hundred and ten thousand people. There, when you say they're going to remember it for their the rest of their lives, how could they not? I mean, this is this is the most impactful moment imaginable, right? It's a community coming together. It's emotionally or emotional arousal, and it's a victory. That is the formative memory of their experience at the University of Tennessee, and it will stick with them. You're 100% right. That's going to influence donations to Tennessee oh, yeah. in the year 20, the goalposts. in the year 2070, right? I mean, how crazy is that? That it's going to res- resonate through the ages. The closest play scenario I've seen to this whole thing was the kick six at Auburn. And I have plenty of friends who attended that game, having grown up in Birmingham. And they talk about that. And every time I've been to an Auburn game since that, then that it's the highlight on their video board that ends the video. You know, it's yeah. it's the defining moment of their entire existence as a university, <laughs> as a, a play in a football game mm-hmm. from a couple years ago that it, it both, of course, being over Alabama Alabama fans, they and I get it. Like I was there for second and twenty six when Tua threw that that beautiful pass to Devontae Smith to beat Georgia in the mm-hmm. national championship my senior year. And knowing not only how bad that hurt, but realizing every time I watch a Georgia Alabama game for the rest of my life, I'm gonna see a replay of this. They're gonna show it every single time. This doesn't these things don't die. They don't just happen and end. They live on yeah. <laughs> in college football. And so Bama fans are disgusted by it. They are mad. I've seen a lot of blaming the referees and officiating. <laughs> the Yeah, and, you laugh. And God, I, they're getting so much sympathy from the other SEC fans. I've, I've yeah, noticed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard that Nick Saban in Alabama after getting the Tom Brady treatment for decades or decades. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not getting much sympathy, Mike. And Tom Brady's like, what did I do? You know, I just got tackled and fined, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, uh, they're not getting a lot of sympathy, but they're feeling it for themselves. And like I said before, my prediction still, I stories just happen in sports. They just happen mm-hmm. in real time. And it's so poetic so often. And seeing that they want revenge against Georgia, they want revenge against Tennessee, they might get opportunities for both in this season. Bryce yeah. Young... Playing his heart out and playing tough as nails on Saturday, by the way. I was really impressed by that kid. But, you know, I think they're going to get a chance. I do. And I think that if history repeats itself, Alabama's going to – they're going to be just fine this season. Yeah, I just – I mean, look, Tennessee wins. You know, our fan – our fandom – you know, we do a fan of the week often. Our fandom for the first half of the season is the Tennessee Volunteers. It's an easy – it's the easiest call of all time. But wow, you look at what the, you look at the road they got to travel to get this done to get that national championship. No, I, and look, I don't know what the betting odds are on Tennessee to run the table. No chance. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's ever done what Tennessee is going to be I asked think to do. The closest I can think of was LSU with Burrow. Hmm. I remember they escaped Texas on the road in a thriller early in the season and thinking yeah but they're gonna have to play alabama they're gonna have to play looking at their you know they're gonna play an sc championship against georgia then they're gonna have clemson and ohio state that team did it and the difference though is that team had an nfl starter at pretty much every position i think for tennessee fans though i don't know that it's as much about this is the year this is our one chance i think it's more that the program Mm-hmm. after being dead for so long has risen from the dead and we're back and we're here to stay. I talked about it a few weeks ago. People are talking about Tennessee being back. I said, Tennessee's not back until they beat Georgia or Alabama or both. And maybe they'll do both this year, but they beat Alabama. They're back. Everyone knows that Tennessee's back. The coach is there to stay. Mm-hmm. He's new. He's young. He's got a great system. They're recruiting well. <laughs> and so they. It's it's not as much. It reminds me again of 2017 Georgia where it felt like, yeah, we want to win it this year. But we know that in the next five, ten years, we're going to just consistently be in contention after years of not being. And it's a thrill. It's a thrill to turn the corner. And to be quite frank, I don't know that winning a championship 
beats the thrill of turning that corner. And so, like I said before, I think Tennessee is at the pinnacle of sports euphoria right now. Well, and, and look, Doug, I don't, you know, fandom's a, a multidimensional thing, right? And I, I want my teams to win championships. To me, that that's like the the ultimate of what we want to have happen. But that being said, if you take a step back and if you don't have you know, skin in the game or dog in the fight that this is so good for the SEC, right? If Tennessee gets back to that pinnacle, wow, this becomes even, and again, you you know, you said it, and, and I think the NCAA had a commercial that, you know, sports has this magical thing of these narratives just pop, pop up. Mm -hmm. They just do. This is a good one. I mean, this is a really real, this is as good as it gets, I think. And this is a, it'll be an ongoing story because even beyond this year, Tennessee, Alabama next year in Tuscaloosa, you think that Alabama crowd is going to be fired up looking (laughs) for revenge? You think that in two years from now, when it goes back to Nayland, those fans are going to, they're going to get college game day again. And they're going to be talking about, can we do it again? And they're going to tear the goalposts down probably if they do it again. I mean, it's just, it's an ongoing story. I didn't follow it. I hope they had. I hope they had like half a dozen five star recruits on the sideline for that game. Oh, they did. And, I and think you start had, to see some guys flip into Tennessee. Yeah. No, they had. Yeah. Um, they had one of their better. I mean, they had an all star cast. It was like a an all American game over on the sideline at T- Knoxville for that one, and they're getting <laughs> to witness that. It's hard to imagine being there for something like that and thinking, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you're there for that, it's just destined to be. You're going to Tennessee. So, and also, if you're a Georgia fan listening to this, and you're probably like, "What the heck happened to, to Doug? He's he's like a Tennessee guy now." I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm still Georgia all the way. Always have been. Always will be. No, it's um, it, Doug. It's my undue academic influence. I'm, I'm forcing you to act as like this impartial bystander, the student well, of the game. You can I, you can there, put the shoulder pads on over the weekend. Right. Yeah, I genuinely am. Uh, Tennessee to me, they're like LSU, and like when Georgia lost to LSU with Burrow, it was like good for them. You know, they've got a great team. And Tennessee, I don't know why I've never hated them. I've seen my team. I mean, they lost on a hail mary. Georgia lost on a hail mary to Tennessee when I was a student. I was there, uh, painted up, and uh, I remember I had a this is probably TMI, but I had a breakup that weekend, and my dad checked in on me the next day, and he said, "How you doing, Doug?" And I said. Um, about the game or <laughs> said the the game is is really what hurt me the most. So I've been hurt by by Tennessee, but uh, but their fan base is awesome, man. I I love seeing people get after it like that, and and nobody does it like Tennessee. Hey, you mentioned a gender reveal earlier with the orange powder, and I couldn't let this podcast go by without. It killed me not to have a podcast last week because two weeks ago on Monday Night Football, we had a, a fan run onto the field with uh, like a pink powder bomb. I don't know exactly what it was. Was and, that already uh, two weeks ago, the Rams game? Yeah. 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 I think, and we didn't have a podcast last week because we, we did the Tom Smith yeah. uh, one, which you guys should go listen to but, on our YouTube. But, uh, but yeah, Bobby Wagner tackling that player. That I mean, not that player. That fan. That fan has now... Yeah. Um, come out and said he had a concussion and it looks like he's suing Bobby Wagner trying to have the gender well, reveal of the century. Also, I don't think it actually was a gender reveal, but it looked like <laughs> it was. I don't know what he was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a personal gender reveal. I don't, you know, um, <laughs> the, um, you know it, it reminds me of the, uh, well, you know, Devontae Adams. I mean, you know, because we, we also missed yeah. talking about that. I My understanding was, He's facing a misdemeanor charge for, uh, you know, smacking the cameraman. And, and to be honest with you, like I look at, okay, and so you know here, it, it, it's fascinating, right? Because look, I'm I'm the kind of guy, and from a generation that, in some ways, taking a shot's not that big a deal. You know, it's just not. You know, you get hit, big deal. Who cares? Move on. But I'll I'll say a couple of things, right? I mean. That kid on the the Rams game, what do you say? Five five eight one fifty. Uh, that's I mean, probably generous. Yeah. Okay, so let's say five seven one forty, and uh, the the Ram player is a linebacker. 
Yeah, Bobby Wagner. He's like so a let's say, all-time so, great. Okay, so let's say six two. Uh, do you know his dimensions? You know, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna. We're gonna get this right. Bobby six three two forty five, right? Something like that. That's that's probably tall for him. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Come on, six foot two forty one. Okay, so even thicker. He's a unit. He's a unit. Okay, <laughs> then you add that. You add that helmet and essentially body armor. Let's let's be Iron real Man. about the scale of difference here, right? I mean, that's a monster smacking a guy that's not physically imposing. You know, I'll leave it no, at that. Yeah. I like that the fans were supportive of Bobby Wagner. I also like that the players and coaches around the league, I think the uh, opposing yeah. team's coach came out and was supportive of him. Uh, his coach, Sean McVay, was saying, hey, I mean, that's what – and Bobby Wagner himself was saying – who knows what this guy's got on him? He could have a knife. He could be, Which is you know, very he could fun. be a very. He funny, could be a real. Boy. He could be yeah. a real threat. <laughs> he could be a real threat. Um, yeah. And and as as a guy who played football, I know that if I had ever seen someone run on the field like that, I too would want to decleat mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, not not because of I feel threatened, but because. It's an opportunity. It's just a reaction, right? It's just- <laughs> it's, it's, but it'll be interesting to see if there's some uh, some legal follow through it'll be that. interesting to see if there's a prosecutor that's going to charge him right or just you know let it go but you know but doug i'll, I'll come back and the Devonte adams thing okay so if tennessee has won the the fandom competition for the first part of the season Devonte adams has lost it yeah you know that I, commercial I mean, that commercial you talked about well there's also a taco bell commercial where he's kind of talking trash talking down to he's talking down to the taco bell worker who's says something like, yeah, I ran, I, I played junior high football. Right. And so he's, he's, he elevate, he's elevated himself above the fans in, bo- in a couple of his advertising campaigns, but you can't take a shot. at some, you know, you're an entertainer. You can't take a shot that is so at someone else that is also working at that entertainment venue. <laughs> it also, it's just like so random. It's a cameraman. This isn't an opposing fan flicking the bird. You know, this is this is a guy doing I mean, a job. <laughs> someone doing his job. Just a random guy doing his job. Um, it reminds me of an anchorman. There's a scene where Will Ferrell's running and he runs by just a guy. And he just pushes him to the ground just completely randomly. And I was like, Devontae Adams, like, what was that for? It was nothing, nothing provoked that. It was, it was unlike uh, Jermaine Burton for Alabama, the famed or perhaps infamous transfer from Georgia shoved a Tennessee fan. And there's a video of it. And that's going around the internet right now um, after the Tennessee game. But that kind of makes sense. Like, he's ticked off. These guys shouldn't be running on the field. And I mean, I remember, I'll tell you a story. I, I've got too many fan stories of my own. I went to one Virginia basketball game. My brother went to school at the University of Virginia. They were kind of at that point where they were breaking through. They were going from unranked to perennial contender. And uh, Duke was there. And UVA upset Duke. There is now a painting in the stadium, the basketball arena at UVA that I am in because I was on the front <laughs> row. And it looks in like a painting, I'm a student. Nice. And I was in high school, yeah. yeah. And um, but anyway, we stormed the court after beating Duke because Duke was like number two or three or something, maybe number one. I don't know. Stormed the court, and I remember running over right by the Duke bench. You know, it was like Mason Plumlee, and I I remember seeing Coach K. And Coach K. in his press conference after the game was saying that this has got to stop happening because for a while, every time Duke lost a basketball game, it was on the road, and the yeah. court would get stormed. And he genuinely felt concerned for his safety. Or that's what he was communicating his press conference that this is dangerous you know my players and i don't feel safe and i think you saw on saturday with nick saban they had like a full it was like secret service around him ushering him out of the stadium very swiftly to make sure he was safe after that game and with i mean for good reason like in tennessee who knows what could happen but um yeah that's that's something that happens where it's like you could see players kind of being defensive and we saw that with burton and and Nick Saban being ushered out and Coach K expressing he, himself feeling threatened, but right. Devonte Adams, I, there's no threat from the camera from the man. cameraman, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no threat at all. Okay, Doug, let's. Uh, okay, gotta say something about one more thing about college football. Okay, the Illini are six and one. They're bowl eligible. I knew you were going there. I, well, look, I'm not even. 
this is not even me being a homer. This is a national story. Who is the coach of the year? Six and one at Illinois versus a six and zero or seven and zero at Tennessee. I'm sorry, Mike. Okay, but Doug, I mean, and I and I understand where you're going with it. Which is the more remarkable transformation? <laughs> no, you have a point. You have a point, and that Tennessee is a sleeping giant. Illinois is like a sleeping small person, uh, and that's the politically correct way. Of saying yeah. it. They don't have anything to work with. So, yeah, I think you have a good point there. I mean, years ago, I did a I did an analysis of uh, coaches, coaching effectiveness, and what I was looking at was how well teams perform based on how much they invested relative to other conference members. Okay. And yeah. so, and I remember Belima was actually one of the top several coaches in, in all of college football, right? Cause you, you realize that it, you know, when you're winning 10 games at Wisconsin, this was back in that day, you're doing something, you're winning 10 games where let's say Ohio state and Michigan are winning 11 games but your level of investment is nowhere close. And if you adjust for the amount of, for the kind of recruiting and the crew, recruits that you're getting in there and the number of, let's say, four stars and five stars across those programs, he had done a truly remarkable job. Now, mm-hmm. he went down to Arkansas, obviously, and for some reason, that didn't work. But I'm not surprised at all in terms of how successful he's been at Illinois because he seems like one of these guys – He's got a system that works, and he does that system. And, and so, you know, is he going to, you know, is this the cap for Illinois? You know, maybe. But very – I mean, you think about how down that program has been and where they've recruited yeah. for the last couple of years. That's a remarkable job. And you look at the schedule. Doug, for the Big Ten to win a national championship, you got to go through the Illini. That's that's a tough <laughs> out. And in his defense at Arkansas, that SEC West, particularly when he was there with every year Alabama, of course, but LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I mean, so many tough. Maybe that, pro- Doug, here, let me ask you this. Does that kind of system, that kind of Wisconsin system approach, does not that not work in the SEC when you're playing teams that have – Bigger, stronger guys. Eight, well, eight to fifteen NFL players coming yeah. at you every week, every those, other week. Yeah, maybe. I mean those systems. I think Tennessee's got the perfect system for coming into the SEC, and I think Texas is probably looking at that and saying they're probably feeling pretty confident um, because of the system that they have. But and Oklahoma's probably not feeling confident at all because <laughs> of the season that they're having and the system that they have at the present. So. Yeah, I, I don't know, but Brett Bielema has done a great job with the Illini and looking forward to seeing them in the playoff against Alabama or Tennessee <laughs> or Ohio State or Georgia, uh, Michigan. Doug, if, if they're playing in the Big Ten championship game, that's like, again, it's like your your issue of like breaking through. You know, the Illinois getting to the Big Ten championship game, that's probably the equivalent of Tennessee beating Alabama at home, right, in terms of – well, and I also think that it's like, you know, what would be more impressive, an undefeated Alabama season or a 10-win Vanderbilt season? I would say yeah. the coaching job for Vanderbilt would definitely be better. Alabama should go 12-0 and 0 every year looking at their schedule and looking at their talent. And so Vanderbilt, and in this case the Illini, I mean, what Brett Bielema has done is significant for that university. And it's I hope he can sustain it, Mike, for, for the sake of – uh, the Illini and yourself. I hope that Illinois can build something and, and be a team that knocks off Ohio State or Michigan <laughs> in the coming days or years. Sorry, I couldn't say without laughing. I really tried. Uh, okay, you know, and again, you know, the, this, and again, we'll, we'll we'll just play this out and then we'll move on just because of the silliness of the what if analysis that every fan base does. Yeah. Illinois' toughest remaining game on the schedule is Michigan. So they let's say they 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 pull off this, you know, miracle. They beat Michigan. Michigan comes back, comes back and game? beats. I don't. I, I, I'm a bad fan. I don't recall. Michigan. Michigan. Then you know let's, the schedule memorized. 
Uh, let's say Michigan beat. <laughs> I, I look at so many schedules that I just can't do it now. Uh, like I, I, as we were talking, I looked up Tennessee's schedule. I looked up Georgia's schedule. Uh, <laughs> there's too much information here. That you know, the, Michigan. Let's say beats Ohio State. Illinois plays Michigan again. I mean, you can almost imagine this kind of strange scenario where, and again, in some ways, I really wish we'd gotten more of this stuff over the course of the time of the playoff, right? Of the dark horse winning those conference championship games and somehow getting into the playoffs. I can't think of any examples where someone has won their way into the playoff, frankly. Maybe Cincinnati Cincinnati last year. Yeah. I don't know, but that's where the 12-team playoff... I mean, for real, a couple years from now, let's say there is a 12-team playoff. Illinois is a legitimate playoff contender. And at that point, if you... I mean, end of the season, you're, what, three or four wins from a national championship, which is somewhere where you're, you never really are in that position yeah. anyway. So I think schools like Illinois are the beneficiaries. Of course, how much of a beneficiary are you when you have to turn around and play Alabama or Clemson or whatever? But nonetheless, getting to for your season to build towards something ultimate like that and making it into the playoff. I think mm-hmm. like Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama fans are like, this is dumb because now our regular season games don't mean anything. We're basically going to yeah. be in by default schools like Illinois schools. Like, I mean, just looking at, you know, this year, Tennessee, of course, but um, yeah. they, they literally might look at it. Why do we got to go play this? We got to go play this terrible team in Indianapolis rather than get ready for the playoff, right? If it's Ohio yeah. State. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's where, I don't know. That's where there's pros and cons to the whole system, but I think a school like mm-hmm. Illinois and making it, your recruiting would take off from being a being a playoff team, well, I would imagine. And, and again, this is a little bit in the weeds, and this is not me being an Illinois homer, but this is kind of where fandom becomes sort of nuanced. So, you know, Belima's deal was, you know, you grow up these offensive linemen at Wisconsin and you run the ball, right? That's that's yeah. that's Wisconsin football 101. Well, going into last week's game, Illinois had the leading rusher in the country in Chase Brown. You know, he's implemented that system. And if what that system requires is now I got to start getting, you know, more of the top O-line prospects out of Illinois – then suddenly, you know, that's a system that can work, right? I'm not looking Mm -hmm. for five-star quarterbacks and five-star receivers and defensive backs. I'm trying to grow something, you know. So he he might be capable of making Illinois a perennial nine-win team. Again, that's something that plays out over a long time. But, God, that's that's an amazing – sometimes, Doug, I actually – and I, I kind of hate to say this because this sounds almost like a sports radio kind of Yahoo calling in, telling people how to do their job. I don't understand why more ADs don't take that kind of approach mm-hmm. in terms of building these programs. Because if you're in Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, that's probably your best bet. You don't have that insane brand equity of Alabama or Notre Dame. You don't have the recruiting base of a Florida or a Georgia Right, you gotta you gotta do something. Well, that's where I remember when Mark Rick left Georgia, and my father went to med school at Virginia. My brother went to undergrad at Virginia, and really wanting like, man, if Mark Rick could go to Virginia, that would be huge for them. Because whereas at Georgia, being a ten win team every year is purgatory for Virginia. Now, that's yeah. that's yeah, that's yeah. building that's building a, f- a football program and I and I felt like a guy like that could do it at a school like that. So I I completely agree Mike. And uh like I said, I hope I hope uh Bielema can continue the success at Illinois and maybe set the standard for some of these other schools schools like Virginia. It, but you know the funny thing is and I don't know where it's ended up. I haven't been following it. There were rumors right away that Nebraska was going to try and steal him from Illinois. Right. And so that's the that's, that's the, the other curse thing. in all this thing. <laughs> that's the tough part. Yeah. That's the tough part with but, being but one Doug, of the schools. From what we're talking about. If you get it, a Nick Saban, they're gone too. Right. That's another thing. If you get a coach that's gonna go make you a playoff team, they're gonna be gone in a year. So if from a long term building a sustainable mm-hmm. winning program standpoint, it really is better to get kind of a journeyman coach who is going to, who has a system that works in a consistent way, maybe doesn't have the upside of some other guys. I'll add something else to this and something I don't think they do enough of. I mean, when you think about the nature, 
this might again sound very Yahoo Sports Radio call in the guy. Hey, no, no hate on Yahoo. We got a friend uh, over at Yahoo. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I don't know why more people don't try and build coaching trees within their school. Right? If you played at the University of Georgia or you played at Illinois, then suddenly, you know, you got a quote unquote better opportunity. I don't know that you can pull those guys away. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, well, Kirby, look at Kirby Smart at Georgia. That's exactly. There's this, there's this there's this sense of confidence among the fan base that other schools mm-hmm. maybe don't have where it's like, where's he going to go? The NFL? And I think that's the only place he could go. He's not, you know, Alabama's mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you know, when Saban leaves, maybe we hire Kirby Smart. Really? You think he's going to leave his alma mater and yeah, his wife's to alma go to mater Alabama? To go to Alabama? No way. No way. No way. Yeah, Alabama's a stepping stone for him. Um, and so I do think that when you're looking for longevity and continuity at the coaching position, that is a, a very interesting place. Hire to start someone the- from your nation, right? I mean, it's yeah. yeah. Okay, Doug. It'd, it'd be tough to leave. It'd be tough. <laughs> Forty-five to leave. minutes on college football, but yeah, great. Wow. <laughs> okay, the NFL. Um, at what at some point we're going to have to dig back into it you know, into the, uh, the QB win generated predictions. I don't feel quite like getting into it yet. I mean, I I love what I did. It's changed the way I watch football now where I look at all these things and go, Oh, I got that one, right. I got that one wrong. Then the inevitable, well, why did I get that one wrong? Uh, Doug, the NFC East, why did I get it wrong? How did, you know, how, in, in my fairness, in fairness, how is anyone supposed to predict that turnaround? And again, this is the beautiful beauty of the NFL that people forget these turnarounds happen every year, but the NFC East, you gotta be loving this. Brian Dable doing a fantastic job in New York. You look at the New York Giants team, Daniel Jones, a guy who hasn't had a lot of success prior to this year. And his receiving core is like a bunch of guys that would be on the scout team for most NFL teams. It's the fact that the Giants are winning, you know, what are they, five and one right now? Um, remarkable job. And I think Dable's going to be, if if the Giants continue on this trajectory, I think he is a legitimate coach of the year candidate. I don't think the Giants are a Super Bowl contender because I don't think they have the personnel. But the New York fans that I know are, are eating it up. They're loving this season. Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts going from, you know, is he a is he a legitimate NFL starting quarterback, franchise guy, to is he an MVP candidate uh just overnight? And and of course, Dallas winning a lot of games with Cooper Rush. I thought that they I thought it was smart of them to wait until after the Eagles game to make the switch because had they lost that game with Dak Prescott after Cooper Rush winning all of his games, there would be a lot more controversy, I think. Okay, so in Washington, of, eh. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of my <laughs> reflection looking at this. Okay, so I pulled up. I pulled up the stats. Daniel Jones, and again, you know, quarterback quarterback stats are always this kind of mess, right? There's so many different ones. You want to look at the yards that they throw for. You want to look at touchdowns. Tennis touchdowns divided by interceptions is one I like a lot. You want to look at the uh, the passing rating, or you want to look at ESPN's QBR. Daniel Jones having a very ordinary kind of season in terms of passing yards um five touchdowns on the year nothing special there Mm -hmm. not great on the the combined metrics the passing stat in the in the qbr and so you know my conjecture that you can forecast a lot of what happens in the nfl based on that leading man that quarterback position daniel jones and the new york giants are saying not always. And that's maybe when you've got Saquon Barkley. Saquon's a special player. I also, I just, I've said it a million times with Daniel Jones. And, you know, I watch the Giants pretty closely. But okay, Doug, let me let me interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Okay, now you're winning. And Jones has got to be getting close to free agency or renegotiation. You Let's let's just say this, this winning rate continues. They go 12 and 5, make it a round or two rounds into the playoffs to give this guy $40 million a year. <laughs> I think the giants would in that scenario. Um, what, what I was about to say is I just find it hard. It's difficult to evaluate a young quarterback who has never played 
with a legitimate group of NFL wide receivers or NFL linemen. Or I mean, this is his first year really playing with Saquon Barkley, and that's taken a lot of the pressure off of him. I've always felt like he's a fighter. He's tough as nails. He's always running for his life, taking hits, taking all the criticism. He just gets back up and keeps playing, which reminds me some of Eli Manning. Um, but, you know, it, it's difficult to evaluate him looking at what he's played with. And so, year four, this, though, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of data of him yeah. playing with lackluster receivers and behind a, t- a bad offensive line. I think the line's improved a little bit this year. He's still running for his life all the time, but so is every other quarterback in the NFL. And when I say every other, I mean like literally every other, like half the quarterbacks, it seems, don't have a line that can protect them. And so that's just part of it nowadays. So it, right now I'm just like, you look at his receiving core. I mean, the Giants, you know, they've got guys like Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony. It's kind of bigger name guys that haven't contributed, whether it's due to injury or personal reasons. Um, and, and it's like I said, it's been guys that you thought were going to get cut in the preseason. Kenny Stills. And, and like mm. just a bunch of no name receivers out there, pretty, you know, not a lot of separation and Daniel Jones kind of having to thread the needle. So I feel like I personally feel like he's outperformed, like he's performing better than his stats show than his completion percentage or than his yards and, and touchdowns show. Okay. Maybe the team I've gotten the most wrong though. I, I think we still had him projected at nine or 10 wins as the Philadelphia Eagles. Did you see this step up? And again, maybe one of the challenges with my method is that it's hard to forecast growth for younger quarterbacks, right? As, as we collect more data, you know, maybe we realize, and, and the thing is, right, young quarterbacks can go either direction. They can kind of sputter out or they can keep growing through. I'm, I think from the data I've looked at, there's like a three or four year horizon and then you know what you got. I think Hertz is in, what's Hertz in season three or season four? Did you see this? Did you see him stepping up to this level? And, and I, I'm asking you, especially since you probably saw more of his college games, you know, being more yeah. focused on Alabama. Yeah, well, Hertz grew leaps and bounds from year one and two in college, years three and four. Um, I mean, and people will always talk about under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. His, his third year at Alabama – he became a completely different player. Alabama brought in an offensive coordinator who was a great quarterback coach uh, to be the quarterback coach. And, of course, Tua flourished in that system, but Hurts. And, of course, he beat him, beat my Georgia team, and I was there. But he was a different player in the pocket. And that's when I was starting to see, okay, this guy's a legitimate NFL quarterback. And I, I was kind of comping him to uh, Dak Prescott at the time as a – as an NFL prospect. And I think that's been a pretty similar trajectory. Maybe not the early success that Prescott had, but he's, he's developed more than Prescott did early in his career. And I think a lot of it has to do with the supporting cast, Mike. I think that his offensive line is actually good. And I think there's a lot of young quarterbacks that would kill for that. Daniel Jones being one of them, Joe Burrow being one of them. Uh, I mean, you look at, I mean, Mac Jones is hurt right now. I'm not really, I haven't watched the Patriots that closely, but just the fact that he's hurt probably is telling. Um, You're and not so, a big fan of uh, something Zappy. I forget his first name, but makes me happy. Zappy from Western Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so with that saying, I, I, here's a pattern I've noticed with young quarterbacks in the NFL. Guys that succeed or flourish early tend to be guys that get drafted a little bit later. Those top five picks, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Daniel Jones was a top ten pick. We've mentioned him a few times today. They're thrust into these situations behind bad offensive lines with bad receivers, with bad supporting casts, and they're not as likely to have that success, whereas Mahomes was drafted a little bit later and then than the previous guys I mentioned. And now, of course, uh, Hertz is like a perfect situation where he's being drafted by a pretty good team already. And so he, he's, he could step in and, and succeed. I don't know that he's a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. Who knows? But I mean, would Lawrence be tearing it up if he were playing for the Eagles right now? Maybe, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think Doug, one of the things I've, one of the things again, that I'm in the process of learning you know, Trevor Lawrence was ranked near the bottom of the league and, you know, getting close to the midpoint of this season, he's right about in the middle. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this looks like almost the trajectory that maybe we should expect that that, mm-hmm. that rookie year is just taking your lumps, 
year especially, two. Especially the top guys picked. Yeah. Especially year two, you're something competitive. And then year three, we know what we get. We 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 actually learn what we got. Yeah. Um even Lawrence like definitely Russell, seems on yeah. Russell Wilson had a lot of early success, but again, he was a guy that was drafted pretty late to a good team. Um, and I've always, I've always, the perfect example is Tom Brady going to a Super Bowl team already in the Patriots and taking over. I've always wondered what happens if he were drafted by the Lions. You know, does he have, do we think of him as the GOAT now had he been drafted by the Lions? Aaron Rodgers, another one where he inherited a pretty good football team in Green Bay under Brett Favre. Um, and like I said, Patrick Mahomes, it, it's tough to it's tough to know, but I I personally think that you're more Doug. likely to have success if you if you drop okay. a little bit in the draft. I'm totally in the realm of hot take with what I'm about to say. I love it, and this is the other thing that I think I've learned from going through this exercise, and it's something I'm going to add to this as I accumulate more data. Now I'm not going to get to this till the till the off season, but you know when you talk about Tom Brady, I think we almost have to look at quarterback coach pairs. Mm-hmm. Because look, I got news. You know, the I was saying I was going to say the Boston, the New England Patriots are three and three. Uh, Bailey Zappi has a quarterback rating that, as soon as he gets enough attempts, is going to put him in the upper echelon in the NFL. I think third or fourth round pick from Western Kentucky. Okay, this is. I, I don't think we can look at Bailey Zappi. I think we have to look at Bailey, Bailey Zappi playing with Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. And so my hot take in all this, and I don't think, I mean, I'm such a Tom Brady fanboy, despite hating him early in his career because of his Michigan days. Yeah. You know, th- they need to be in the picture together on that Hall of Fame induction. And that's totally unfair to the two of them. But that is, you know. They also would both probably hate that. Yeah. You can't separate these guys, I think. Yeah, and uh, I mean Lawrence with Meyer and Lawrence with Peterson, different yeah. guy, different performance, and maybe it's just him progressing from one to two, but maybe it's maybe it's a different coach pairing. So I think, and same with Daniel Jones with his quarter with his coaches before, and now with Dable, who had a lot of success, you know, turning around or played a part in turning around Josh Allen's career rather helping with his development of course josh allen is just a special player um and you don't want to give coaches too much credit for that but he did play a role in that and now you're seeing it a little bit with jones and people are starting to say hey maybe he is the guy in new york yeah the the other thing i want to give myself credit for well i don't i you know what i don't even take pleasure in this justin fields justin fields and baker mayfield right and, yeah. and so again i don't want to overestimate I don't want to overestimate my ability because, like, I didn't even have enough data on Geno Smith to predict that he would be a top five player in the league, right? It, it doesn't make any – no, there's no basis for that. But mm-hmm. those two guys, the data just screamed, and again, unfair to Fields as mm-hmm. a rookie. But I only highlight him because he was – there was separation between Fields and the other rookies last year. That uh, – you know, it's almost like Fields Fields was like such an outlier that you got to take it seriously. And so let's say maybe a three win, a minus three win contribution for a rookie quarterback. It's about what you're going to get. Minus two, minus three. You just don't worry about it. It's part of the learning process. But if you see a minus four or minus five, you go, our evaluation was messed up. Yeah. Yeah, Fields also just seems miserable. I my biggest criticism of him has always been his body language when the going gets tough, and we've seen a lot of that lately with him. Uh, I, I'm curious, Mike, about a guy we've talked about quite a bit this year, Lamar Jackson, starting the year off with a hot hand. Uh, They're three and three, biggest, right? Biggest. Well, the biggest criticism of him has always been that he's not a winner, can't win the big one. He doesn't, he's flashy, but he, he's not, you know, it's kind of like how people were about Carmelo Anthony in the NBA. Okay. I don't know well, that that's. Let's look at him in terms of the passer rating, the class of the classic NFL statistic, which is based on yards per catch, uh, accuracy, completion percentage, touchdowns, and then a negative effect for interceptions. He is rated 12th in the league right now. Um, so he's behind. Jimmy G, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Geno Smith, uh, Josh Allen, and Tua, 
Tua was playing really well. It's almost we got, you know, uh, mm-hmm. let's see who else. Uh, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's who he is. Um, if we look at, let's say, other numbers on him, if we look at uh, the first first three weeks of the season, he was probably number one. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't recall. I mean, he was definitely up there. But again, small sample size. What are we going to? Right. Uh, if we look at touchdowns, where is he here? He's pretty he's pretty high on that one, I think. Yeah, he's number three on touchdowns, only four interceptions. So he's 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 does a nice job on some metrics. Um, I think the know, criticism of him is the timing of things. Like if you had a if you had a stat for just QBR in the last three minutes of a game, I'm sure might, ESPN can generate that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be a different story, and that's where Daniel Jones has improved. Like his stats as a whole might not look as good, but he's had like three or four game winning drives this year, which is pretty impressive for a young quarterback. Lamar, I don't know if you watched the Giants Ravens game yesterday or saw the highlights, but Lamar Jackson. When pretty much the only thing they they needed to do was take care of the football, he threw a very untimely interception, and then he had a very untimely fumble in, in the final minutes of the game that cost them a, a huge comeback in a game they they could have become a four and two team and now are right back at three and three at five hundred and you know Lamar's under a lot of pressure once again. Okay, Doug, we're getting close to an hour, and again, we yeah. lot of lot of talk today without a. Not a lot of lists or graphs, but, you know, it's celebration of fandom. You know, Tennessee is an inspiration. Mary Grace, <laughs> you need to find that application and apply to become a Vol. Um, <laughs> anything anything else you want to hit real quick? Any games you're looking forward to this weekend, NFL well, or, uh, or, or college? Yeah, I just want to say sports are pretty much in full swing where we're at that part of the year, NHL's. Starting off NBA tipping off this week. Like what? Where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, it's October. Major League Baseball is that it's. Peak. Oh, my God. You know, as we're at, the MLB offices have got to be, you know, doing voodoo dolls of Houston at this point. You know, if the Yankees are not in the World Series, the TV ratings are going to be half of what they would be <laughs> if the Yankees are in there. Well, I mean, I was kind of surprised to see the Dodgers and Braves knocked out so soon. A couple, two teams we've seen make it a little bit further the last couple of years. But my one, Doug, take, the Dodgers won 111 games. I know you don't 111 games. It was the fifth best record of all time. Yeah, it's kind they're of done. they're done. Yeah, here's a question, and neither of us kind of lives in this world. Are people still mad at Houston? I don't think anyone likes Houston. Other than okay, so so the, there's a grudge Houston. continues. Yes, I think there will always be a grudge. Uh, my take with baseball is that every time Aaron Judge is up to bat, they should cut yes. to a college football game just <laughs> just to even things out. Just to even things out because we saw it the other way so much. I think they should just cut to college football highlights when Aaron Judge is at bat. Put him in like college a college football corner. highlights. <laughs> well, I mean, there's not always a game going on. If there's a live game, yeah. cut in and say, okay, we've got a punting situation and the uh, SMU versus – College Missouri football State. should move some stuff around. Yeah, and, to yeah. always be playing when Aaron Judge is playing and cut into the game. That's that's what I think. I think that's how you do justice to college football fans. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to say that a sport needs something, but baseball could really use this help, right? New York market, 62 home run guy. You know, if he can be a hero that puts baseball, puts the hated Houston Astros out of the playoffs, and then, uh, oh God, was it come? You know, play something against the Phillies. That's not a bad package, right? I mean, that's that, that's something that you know maybe baseball can go from you know getting 10, 12 million people to watch to back over twenty million people. Well, again, you know, they'll all be in the New York metro area, but definitely a positive. Yeah, I actually just want to see the Guardians do it simply because they would be the first, and this they could be eliminated by the time this yeah. airs. Uh, they could they could be the first rebranded racist team to win a championship. There you and go. That would that would be exciting. That'd be that'd give hope for the Commanders and slash Washington Football Team slash all the other uh, racist okay, Doug, out there. We are at an hour and two, so it's time to uh, shut this down. And, you know, frankly, our our love of Tennessee fandom. This is now Fanalytics. How do we add Tennessee to the name? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the Tennessee fan uh, 
until this until this bubble pops, I, I don't think we're going to be able to stop ourselves. Well, Georgia plays Tennessee in a couple of weeks, and I'm I that could do it. <laughs> my ability to to love on the Tennessee fan base is going to dwindle. I'll just say that. But but Doug, here's the nice thing: Tennessee fandom celebration, their victory saved everyone from me going down the unfortunate path of talking about the rings of power as the most expensive fan fiction of all time. And so it's just a complete positive. Hey, Thursday night football has been on a loser for Amazon as well lately. And we'll talk about that another week, but I okay, hope it continues. You know, I hope, I hope here's it something I missed terrible. out on this. When you're watching Thursday night football, you don't switch off though. They might have their their the rate that people are viewing their Kevin Hart gambling ads might be three or four times what it is on other channels. Cause I know for me, if I switch off of Amazon Prime, it's about a two-minute process to get back in there. It's so, annoying. What we had yeah. that problem last I was watching with friends and I was like, I'm gonna switch to the college game. And they said, Well, you know, you have to get out of the Amazon app, go over to YouTube TV and then do it, and then during commercial break and then come back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, we'll just keep it on Amazon. And yeah. I guess that's good, but also from a consumer standpoint, it's not exactly building, uh, I don't know, I'm not building a love for Amazon over being forced to watch on a different app and not being able okay. to Okay, and this is, all, this is always kind of the marketing question. Are you, are they training you to accept this lower level of service <laughs> or is this damaging the Amazon brand equity? Mm. Since it's the NFL, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're training you. <laughs> Fair enough, Mike. Okay, everyone. As always, more content, especially stuff related to the fandom survey. We'll be publishing a, an article on the relation, the full article on the relationship between politics and sports fandom later this week. And we'll pin that back up to the top as soon as we put that article out there. Okay, Doug? Um, and that's at www.fandomanalytics.com. Thank you and talk later. <laughs>